2: Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm thrilled that we have Michelle Borba back again for the second time. We had her on an earlier podcast talking about one of her previous books, Unselfie. But today we're talking about her new March release, and it is called Thrivers, The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. So if you didn't catch the earlier one, please let me formally introduce her so you know um, how we're going to spend our time together. Uh, Besides being the author of 25 books, she is an educational psychologist, a former teacher, a mom herself, and she has been recognized for offering research-driven advice called from a career of working with over one million parents and educators. She's a frequent Today Show contributor. She is the recipient of the National Educator Award. As well, she is taught Around the world, including, uh, I see here 19 countries on five continents. So when we're having lots of conversations about diversity, inclusion, and differences, uh, you have met with people from around the world and people call on you for your expertise, including people like Sesame Street, Harvard, the U.S. Air Force Academy, 18 U.S. Army bases in Europe and the Asian Pacific, HRH, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, there's an interesting connection. Uh, and as well, you can catch one of her TED Talks, empathy is a verb. And uh, I, I have to say from you know, reading in our interview, one of the great things about having you on board is uh, not only the incredible wealth of knowledge that you bring, but the, the research and the stories and how you weave it all together. And so Aww. welcome back and, and thank Aww. you for this latest contribution.
3: I missed you. Thank you. <laughs> I love you, Allison.
2: Well, I, listen, I love you back, and I, I I love how you talk to parents. You you have and it's um, I, and I mean this seriously. You have a style of writing that is so important to parents in that parents they want to they want to know they want to know they have the best research they want to know they have the best education. They're so concerned for their kids, but they don't have time to read dry, boring. Scientific papers that's too tough on them. So the way that you weave in what you have learned from spending so much time with the researchers, then you blend in the stories because you're out in the real world, you're interviewing people, you're in these schools, you're talking to these students, you're talking to these parents, like you're having one on one conversations, you bring the real life stories to it. But then you don't leave us high and dry with all these expectations. You literally then provide people with the, so what does that look like to your family today? How can you turn that into an action plan and how can you do that in an age-specific way? And you brought that structure to Unselfie, and you have brought it to this book. So I'm, I'm so thankful for how you communicate with parents. And so let's dig into this topic. What's a thriver?
3: <laughs> and why are they different from strivers? <laughs> Aww, a thriver is a kid who says, I got this. They're wonderful little critters, because when push comes to shove and a bump is in the road or a ditch, they're a kid who finds a way through it and over it and usually has a sense of agency or a skill set so they can do it. And that's what we really want is a child who keeps on going the nine yards and makes it in school as well as in life. A striver's a little different in that, hey, they still want to get there, but very often when the bump comes, they stop, and they don't make it the whole nine yards. And you know what the bottom line is? It's a really uncertain new world. So there are going to be bumps. There are going to be ditches. If not a pandemic, who knows what else is coming down the pike. And we've got to, I think, reset our parenting. So we help our kids with a different set of skills, not only the knowledge set in the classroom, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, we've already raised the smartest generation known to man. So we're doing pretty darn well there. But how about the other spectrum? And that is a child who has resilience, a kid who's going to be able to have the fortitude and the gumps to keep on going. And the best thing is it's teachable.
2: Well, yes, yeah, this, this is not like some kids are innately born with this quality and then you nurture it. This is something that every parent and every social environment can nurture in children to, to develop if we decide that it's an important thing to do. And I think to your point, maybe parents don't think in advance of what these bumps are. And maybe it took until we had this pandemic yeah, to realize that this resiliency conversation was serious. But I think you said even OK, so, yeah, the pandemic is is obviously going to be woven into the na- the, the fabric of the narrative of this generation. I think the way we had like Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, I think we are going to have, you know, an, an interesting group that had a very different experience. But, to your, you know, you shared a st- st- statistic in the book where you said most kids, by the time they finish their adolescence, have likely had one event that would be considered a traumatic event.
3: Yeah, yeah. And that's prior to the pandemic. Now, I had just finished writing this like a month before COVID hit. And then I started rewriting and rethinking. But the stats were just dismal in that uh, we do know that 40% to 50% of all kids are going to have some kind of a really big tragedy of some kind of adversity in their life. And we can't bubble wrap it. There's nothing we can do, it's gonna hit them. But we also know that one in five kids, your kids, my kids across North America are gonna have some kind of a mental health disorder. So you put those two together, that means your coping skills go down. And there's two factors. I looked at all the science and resilience and it's all on our side. It's not locked into DNA. It is not one trait. It is not a program and it's not made of one. It's all a focus thing that we can do. The bottom line to all of this is that we don't have the, I think the toolkit to be able to figure out, so what are the skills and what's needed? I chose seven strengths because they were the most highly correlated to resilient children. But in addition, they were highly correlated to reducing mental health problems and and helping the kid be a peak performer in the classroom. So it's not either or. You use these it's, as a model and it's going to be a win-win-win because win, win, this is what our kids are all going to need. Yeah. And we need to and
2: you, you start the book with a bit of a call to action to say parents need to redefine what they are calling success. Yeah, like they, I think they think. You know, well, tell tell the story of the of the inspiration of you know the, uh, you know, how, the parent who really thinks they have. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the young girl that you Ava. were interviewing.
3: Ava. Ava. Uh, yes. You know, here, a little a little footnote on of this. Once I realized the staggering stats about kids, and I realized that resilience was teachable, I wanted to get a perspective on the kids' point of view. So I started interviewing and I ended up over a hundred kids plus focus groups, all in total about 500 across North America. Wonderful kids, wonderful kids. But the one child, each one of them said, by the way, despite m- immense love, oh my gosh, we love them desperately. And immense IQ points and GPAs going up into the ozone layer, but most of them described themselves as kind of empty, that there was something missing. And the child who really impacted me was this glorious kid named Ava. She uh, looked like she had it all. I mean, she was really had a a vision of getting herself into the best schools possible. She knew exactly what school to get there. She had the GPA and the test scores to get there. She was up every single morning so darn early to be able to get to swim lessons before school. And then after school again, by the time she got home, she was just kind of vaporized. And then it was homework, 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 and then wake up again and start all over again. And I just fell in love with this kid. And uh, I wanted to, to backtrack and see how you're doing. And then I called her, just a few months later to just go, I'd missed you. And I had a couple more questions for her. Her mother answered and her mom sounded so distraught and then started to just sob that she'd had to put her child in the hospital for severe depression, suicidology. And her bottom line that as she sobbed was this, I just missed the piece on how to help her feel happy about who she is, happy about herself. I, I gave her all the other stuff but I'd miss the who she was part. And that was the piece I heard from so many others. We're missing that. As one kid said, I feel like I'm being raised more like a test score or a product. And we're missing the stuff on how to be humans.
2: And it's, it's interesting in, um, This, this parental checklist of, I I thought I gave you everything. You're in the private school. I put you in these extracurriculars. I send you on these camp. We take these family holidays to Europe. You're on competitive swim teams. You're, you know, and, and you're suicidal. How can it be? You know, I, you have so much more than everybody else. And, and it's, um, it's to your point. It's not either or, but it's like those are that's wonderful if you can get a foot up that way. But what, what is it if we don't have this internal EQ piece, these soft uh. skills, these
3: other character traits that you talk about that add up to resiliency? I love that. The term is the inner stuff. We've given them all the outer stuff, but we're failing to help them learn from the inside out. And one huge commonality of resilient thrivers is that they have agency. They have a sense of control over their own life. Now, that doesn't mean you're giving them the car keys. I'm not talking about that. But I mean, they have a skill set. So when a bump does come, they have problem solving or they can uh, coping skills to be able to calm themselves down or they have people skills to be able to reach out. We found that there are some really fascinating, ordinary things that make an extraordinary differences in our kids' lives. One of the most interesting that we overlook is hobbies. I asked the kids in middle school, what do you do in your spare time for hobbies? And they looked at me dumbfounded. What the heck is a hobby? Who has time for a hobby? But Emmy Werner and all of her work on resilience says ordinary hobbies create like a refuge for a kid. They're like a decompressor. It could be knitting. It could be guitar. It could be woodwork. It could be basketball. But it's a child who seems to enjoy their own company. And those hobbies seem to be decompressors. You know, and again, so here you're finding this research before the pandemic and
2: and look at the kids who, if they hadn't spent time investigated or were encouraged or whatever to to pursue a hobby, the default was to go to
3: social media, right? Exactly. And and that's what they're doing. And then what happens when they do that? The anxiety and stress goes up. up. Unless the social media is a with it thing. So yeah. how are you doing? And I'm talking to you and I'm looking face to face with you. But we're not. Our middle school kids are more comfortable texting and talking. They're looking down, not up. Now they've spent distance learning most of the year as well. And it's more, more, more. And so the latest studies are now saying they're even more addicted to it. So it just yeah. means if there's one number one is we need to start pulling them back and getting them ready for the real world when it opens up and to the new normal. The other thing we've discovered is that another decompressor that's hitting our kids, just raising the stress up, is that all of the distance learning has actually kids being at home, whether at school, because there's no routines, there's no rituals, their sleep patterns are dramatically changed. So instead of sleeping better, they're sleeping worse. Those ordinary things that create resilience, they're they are kind of like on, on the reserve mode of hitting the empty moment, and they don't have those things to build them up. That's okay. That's okay, parents. We can replace them. And maybe the first step, when we look at the seven traits of re- resilient children, I'd say, you know, step one is confidence. Start looking, and confidence to me means you have a strong sense of self-understanding. You know who you are. Thrivers think who, not what. So the first thing in Thrivers is a four-page core asset survey. Go through it, figure out who your kid is, what their learning modalities are, what brings them joy of the seven strengths, which are the ones that really, you know, give them energy. And then you'll know phenomenal things as to where to put your energy and time. So I, I love that the book starts with the assessment tool. And those questions
2: were not easy for me to answer. I was actually embarrassed because, you know, I thought I was pretty in tune with my kids, but I, it took me pause to like, oh, I need I need to spend some time. This isn't going to be a quick, you know, skim through this list. I had to spend some time on these questions, but you allow, spend the time, parents, each kid is going to need their own assessment, right? They're all unique and yep. different But then there's a a way of scoring yourself at the end of it that's in the book. And your recommendation then is the ones that your child scored really high on, this speaks to their strengths. Great. So there's a place that's going to be where they can plug those in and grow and put those as their superpowers to help them along the way. But that it's those bottom ones that you're saying, now there's a chapter in the book. On each of these, I'm going to get you to, to go through each of them so the parents know what they are. Um, but now go to, you know, yes, read the whole book, but if you found that this is a place where there's room for growth, I never want to say weakness, or but, but you know, where, yeah. the, where, where the score is low and there's room to do some growth there. Go to that chapter, because not only are you going to learn about that trait, but you're going to learn some things that are actionable right away where you can start building that up. Um, and uh, and then this idea that no, no kid is one character, right? You say there's this multi. Tell, tell us about the. Oh, the,
3: the first question from parents is, do they have to have all seven? No. It's a rare parent who has all seven. The seven are like here is the superpowers that we do know build and nurture resilience. Each superpower is made up of three skills. So, when do you teach the skills? Your entire lifetime as a parent. This is not an overnight process. This is start at the I would say start at self-confidence because that's figuring out who your kid is and then just like you said jump to wherever else you want to go. But the, the second thing in life is that um I think it's really important to know that it isn't one skill that makes or breaks resilience. Most parents think it's a one superpower trait. No, what I discovered that was my aha moment is that when you pair any two traits together, I don't care what they are, it could be curiosity and perseverance, or it could be empathy and confidence. You put two together or three together, they multiply the effect. So they amplify the effect. I call that a multiplier effect. They just are going to make it even more of a superpower to help your kid have even more sustaining power to reduce the stress and build the resilience. So that's what you're trying to do is give your kid the optimum way to be able to thrive in life by learning the skills and habits.
2: The thought comes to me of like having different people in an escape room where you can be, okay, you're really good at problem solving. I'm really good at logistics. Yeah. You're really good at what, you know, that we don't need to have everything. But if you've got a couple and you put them together, you'll say, you know how I get myself out of a sticky spot? I do this and this. How do I get myself out of a sticky spot? I do this and this. And how wonderful that, you know, we embrace the difference. So you break them down. I want people to know what they are, but you you break them down into to three different types. You've got the, the nurturing heart ones, the developing mind ones, and then the cultivating will. So would you,
3: would you speak to, to, to Oh, I'd like to, let me just give you a bird's eye. Here's what it looks like. And remember, these were all chosen from longitudinal studies on resilience. They studied kids who had overcome enormous adversity. They never expected the kid to be able to hundreds and hundreds of kids in five different studies. And what they got, then they said is, okay, so what's the commonality? if it's not zip code, it's not IQ, what the heck is happening? And they were all teachable strengths that they'd learned, but they all had one thing in common, a strong protective parent or adult who was the caring champion who refused to give up on the child. So you put a caring champion who refuses to give up on the child and you put a skill together, you got a maximum thing that's like superhero. What I want starts with understanding of who I am so that you, the parent, will be able to flow into the direction of the child. That's what's going to give the child maximum joy, engagement. They learn easier in those. It doesn't mean you're going to help, stop helping them with the math that he's struggling with. But don't keep focusing just on the struggle. Keep emphasizing the strength because it will give him, here's who I am, and build him up. The second one is empathy. And boy, did we all learn that one during the pandemic, how critical connection with other people is, because without it, mental health plummets, stress builds, and we all hit burnout. So Thrivers think we, not me. One little point on that does not mean your kid has to be Mr. Popular. He doesn't have to have 50,000 friends, but he has to have a couple of loyal buddies and he has to practice people skills because Thrivers have a we in their life, and they have the ability to connect with a couple of other people, many thrivers also have humor. Oh, they like to read. Again, ordinary things. It doesn't mean if your kid doesn't have humor that he's not going to thrive, but right. it's fascinating on how we forget that those little things can make a difference. Third one is, voila, everyone in the, everything, in the, every kid in the world needs it, self-control. A thriver is the ability to put the brakes on impulses so you can think straight and self-regulate. Yes. Some kids are more sensitive than others. Yes. Kids handle stress not as easily as others, but the bottom line is every kid can learn coping strategies. That's what that is. Be able to figure out how to put the brakes on then comes number four, which is integrity. Um, and that is really what I was surprised and pleasantly Whoa, this is the wonderful moment to realize is that thrivers have a strong moral code. So when mental adversity comes uh, or a peer pressure or I or have to make a decision comes, this kid doesn't have to wiver and wabber. He goes, okay, this is what I stand for. And he can forge in ahead, the stress goes down. And it's really the parents' values planted inside the kid. He's got strong decision making. Five is curiosity. He's a kid who can think out of the box. He's a little problem solver. He's a great little brainstormer. He doesn't mean he has to be an Einstein or a Picasso. Nope, nope, nope. It just means he's got the skills to be able to come up with other ideas. Six is perseverance. I've got grit that I can keep on going, and I don't need a gold star and a trophy to get there. But I'm (laughs) going to get there. And then seven is the one the world needs is optimism or hope. They can keep the lid on pessimism so it doesn't become so darn pervasive that it robs hope in the child's life. And as a result, he can keep thinking straighter. So there you go. Those are the seven most highly correlated. It's your parenting toolkit from birth to whenever they finally leave you.
2: Wow. And and to your point, you know, about you did all of this prior to the pandemic and and you saw, you know, as a, as a, a careerist, following families and children and how they were faring. And you had seen an alarming decline prior to the added pressure yeah. um, of the pandemic. And so we've got parents at home, super worried about their kids, worried yep. about online schooling, uh, worried about social connection, tech addiction, <laughs> um, s- staying up all night, all, you know, all these things that we've just, we, we I think they must feel like, the wheels have come off so much, yeah. and um, but you're saying that we can hit the reset button. That this is this is not more than we can manage. That we can we can tackle this in if if not now when for Pete's sakes
3: exactly. This is the this is the real aha moment, and the reason we can tackle it is that we're not going to take on the whole thing. We're going to be intentional instead, and we're going to look through it and we're going to say here's the one little thing this month. My family or my kid needs to be able to maximize his potential to be his best self. And I'm going to keep teaching that one little thing or modeling it, Mm, modeling it a minute or two a day until my kid really can do it without me. And it all starts, though, I think with a preface right before it. I interviewed so many phenomenally fascinating people, but when I was trying to figure out why some kids shine and struggle, particularly in a really, really troubling time like the pandemic. I found an elderly woman who ha- was raised in London during World War II. She was a journalist, she was interviewing me, and I said, okay, let's flip this. You were the one that lived through a blitz. Every <laughs> single night there's air raid sirens, there's like, you know, bombs going off. You are in living in subway systems. How the heck did you survive when you were six and seven? What kind of stress and trauma did you have? And, I remember her just looking at me and all of a sudden she goes, I don't know. I think I'm fine. I said, and she says, I don't actually remember all of that. I said, how could you not remember? She said, oh my gosh, I forgot. The moment the air raid siren would come on and the moment I'd start to hear the bombs, my grandparents would jump up and close the blackout curtains. And then we'd start playing Ring Around the Rosie and Sing. I don't remember the air raid sirens or the bombings. I remember my grandparents singing and I, it was so classically beautiful that the first thing that our children need in adversity is to be able to see somebody get through it. And those grandparents were showing them the calmness. London, once again, London, Anna Freud, remember her way back when did the most interesting study. Okay. In London, they wanted to save the children because there's bombings every night. And so many parents were putting the kids onto trains and escorting them out into the countryside and then having somebody, oh, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful people saying, I will save your kids and I will keep them in the country. They can play in the sand, they can run, there won't be any bombings and then we'll reunite you after the war. So Anna Freud, she researched those kids and the kids who's kept in London during the bombings and the blitz and horrors, which kid fared better? Which kid was more traumatized? Which kid thrived? Yeah, I'm
2: the- pretty sure being ripped apart from your nuclear family and, sh- and shipped away from your attachment base was probably um, yep. more, more scary yep. than... And
3: despite the fact that every parent went, oh my gosh, my child will be saying no. The child needed the parent. They needed the love and the connection of that. Remember that one caring cheerleader who refuses to give up. So that was a, a way to say... When you start to teach self-control, don't teach it unless you're in control yourself. (laughs) Go through and and find one strategy. There's 50,000 of them in Thrivers. Don't you dare try them all. Your kid will never let you read another book. Instead, you choose one and you say, I'm going to try doing this myself. And don't just say to the kid who needs it most in your family, you're going to learn it. Do it as a family. Because kids learn these things best by seeing them, not by hearing about them.
2: That, well, that's, that is brilliant. And the resiliency piece and the mental health scores for adults are just as worrisome during this. Yeah. And there were, we, we didn't necessarily get all these uh, skills delivered to us. Um, Every, I think every generation of parents gets a little bit more educated on uh, the skill of parenting. I think we're parenting better every generation and um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, we knew what to do, or that our parents knew specifically what to do to create optimism. So, so let's can we talk about the optimism piece oh, because I think yeah, you, you said you, have, you had some real eye opening learnings about the power of optimism, and it is very easy in this particular day, not only just because of the pandemic but also because of all the other things that have happened in 2020. You know, um, Black Lives Matter um, and just all the uh, racial inequalities. And it just, there, this has been a year where there has been uh, terrorism. I mean, there's just so much going on right now that um, that it, it would be easy to be a discouraged society, a discouraged family, a, a discouraged family leader, and for our kids to pick up on that. Um, so talk about how we can, how do you find optimism when seemingly everything's falling apart in our society?
3: Uh, well, first of all, you get in step into your children's shoes and realize the need for it. You nailed it. This is a population of kids who have watched George Floyd live murder on TV and a daily death count. And after a while that can get to you. The goal is not for us to try to raise Pollyannas. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the kid does need a reality base and he needs to know, yeah, these are tough times, but every kid needs to know, but we're going to get through it. And the first step is to know why it matters. Scientists have been trying to figure out this thing called pessimism versus optimism for quite a while. And they discover that the most important thing is that those thoughts that come into your head, yeah, everybody's going to have a bad day and everybody's going to have a bad thought. You and me have them and it's negativity. But if you keep thinking only the negative, it becomes permanent, pervasive, and there goes hope and optimism. And there goes mental health. And there goes anxiety and stress that are mounting through the roof. And that's why so often we've got kids with problems. Step one is look at what research says. The easiest way to start the process is to catch the negative thought. And how you catch the negative thought is figuring out what the heck to replace it with. If kids don't know what a replacer concept is or a power statement, here's how they get it. Come up with one yourself, mom or dad. And if you can come up with one that you model, just walking around the house and pretend like you're having a bad day, just fake it. You probably are having a bad day. So go ahead and say it. I'm really frustrated, but that's okay. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. I'm really upset, but that's okay. This too will pass. If you come up with one line and you keep saying it enough, your kids overhear it. And pretty soon your voice becomes your kid's inner voice. That's step one. Kids need something to counter it. Number two, besides that, the second thing they need is some good news. This is NYU, and they've been seeing nothing but the doom and gloom stuff. So step one is do monitor the TV. I know in the olden days, we could turn it off, and most of the kids are watching it live into their cell phones. But also keep one point in mind, because we do know images that our children see Particularly, media images that are video type are far more damaging than the news that are black law. You know, just in terms of the news that are just print. So, what I started to do in my own home is subscribe to a daily newspaper and turn off the TV. That had immense change in me. The second thing is look for the back page of the newspaper. Fabulous real stories about real kids that are incredible. I would strongly suggest parent, you cut those out, you put them on index cards. For little kids, you just review them, the good stuff that happened last night. You know, Fred Rogers used to do that. He'd sit and tell us about, my mommy would always tell us to look for the helpers. And if he kept saying that enough, you did look for the helpers. So it's also a great thing that parents are doing for older kids. Every night it's one kid around the dinner table. Suppose your kid is gone, meaning he's off to college or at an apartment, Then text chains. That is just a Google alert. If here's a fabulous story, and families are sending text chains amongst themselves, so it could be good news. It could be a one thought that's more optimistic. One final thing that you can certainly do in life is uh, keep in mind that you can worry. You can shrink your worries. Example: When our kids are scared, you don't try to talk them out of the fear because it's real but you also, if they're scared to death at the swimming pool, don't throw them in the deep end. Instead you say, put your toe in, then put your knee in. Most kids right now say they're scared to death of catching this virus. They've seen a, a grandparent die or pass away or somebody loved, they think they're gonna get it. If that's your child's fear, then you chunk it. Well, today, thank you for telling me, let's open up the window. Oh, I think we're okay today. Let's open up the door. Now let's put your toe out. Now let's walk to the mailbox. You chunk a child's fear and it starts to shrink the worry. And it's another strategy. Uh, one more thing you can do is for if you've got a little history buff, start Googling the Spanish flu, the, the great plagues, Ebola, smallpox. Hey, they had problems. They got through it. Look at we too can too.
2: Yeah. What great perspective. Other, yeah. success, other success stories. And, you yeah. know, and, and not that it wasn't, not to, to minimize the struggle, it's hard, but to your point, when bumps in the road appear, humanity seems to to push on, you know, to, to be able to get that perspective and get out of this sort of thin slicing that just says everything is doom and gloom right now.
3: Yeah. And if we keep looking at the doom and gloom stuff, we're going to be doomed ourselves. You know, I was talking to a group of high school, a high school English teacher, sophomore high school, I swear. Uh, very sharp kids. And, and I was asking her, what kind of books are you reading to your kids that help them? She goes, oh, you wouldn't believe what my sophomore class asked me to read the other day out loud. I said, okay, you want to play 20 questions? She says, I'm going to win. You will never, ever guess this in a million years. I thought, okay, I give up. What is it? Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I said, you're kidding. She goes, nope. Every kid said, please read it. We need to be, we need to hear the good stuff and remember that Alexander got through it. That's what kids are craving. Those good old stories. And it doesn't have to be ones that you read way back when, but many kids cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Get back to the olden days and help them. Reel out. Ned, Ned, unfortunately, instead of unfortunately, there was a fortunate. That's for perfect for little kids. Fortunately, by Remy Charlotte. Our ah, children my, need to find hope. My daughter is now uh, my eldest daughter
2: is now 28, but she came and spent a week with me um, last week, and um, she said, "Can we watch some musicals? I want to watch like Bye Bye Birdie or something, oh. just you know, fun and light, and things that you can sing along with, and you know every word, and it's it's comforting and it's light and it's you know and it's reminiscent of easier days." And it was like. What a great way to self-soothe. Well, I
3: mean what a great what a great way to to laugh, exactly, lighten. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the other thing that one of the reasons children's and our anxiety is going up is because of this thing called uncertainty. But one way to put that back in is any kind of ritual. I don't care what the ritual is, if it gives the kid refuge, it could be watching musicals, it could be cookie baking, it could be, you know, basketball hooping or walking or bicycling. But if you do it at the same time every day. For instance, a Zoom call with grandma, or it could be your 10 o'clock uh, learning buddy to go flash your flashcards. Chuck it into your daily schedule. It really helps reduce the uh, uncertainty for your kids. So I
2: have to share a story, and maybe you know this, but between your story of the, the, the um, uh, bombings and, uh, and the need for ritual, so there's a famous story that I heard on somebody else's podcast, and I'm sorry that I can't give it better credit than that, but maybe people will know because I guess it's a bit of a famous story, but it also had to take place during the war. And, um, it was a group of girl scouts, um, that were with their, uh, girl scout leaders, but they were So not with their families, but I guess they were then put into a concentration camp, not with their families, but with their Brownie friends and the Brownie leaders, and the brownie leaders made the girls do their brownie rituals every day so even though they were in these concentration camps they still weren't sat upright and they still did the little thing that you say before you had your meal except for the meal was this horrible concentration food camp and they were still meant to say thank you after and use your manners and how to wash your bowl out and all and some people thought like this is horrible these kids are in these terrible conditions and you're still making them sit upright and use their manners and everything else and these kids thrived because they were still doing their ritual they were still doing their customary it was the thing that anchored them tethered them um and they uh and, and they managed well psychologically in those terrible conditions when they were fin- finally released so i'm sorry i wish i could remember the, the the woman who who wrote about that experience but um but i think it's another powerful example of the need the yeah. need for ritual how, however yeah.
3: however small it is yeah oh exactly Now, Emmy Warner would say rituals such as, um, there's another famous story like that, Uh, each chapter in Thrivers has a story about a real child and how they faced obstacles and bounced back A couple of stories that I love, uh, the one on Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympic athlete in the world. And he had ADHD, had a very tough time in a classroom, was told by a couple of teachers he wasn't going to make it. He was put on behavior medication. He couldn't find a way to reduce his energy until he found a swimming pool. The swimming pool was his savior. But he also said the other savior, that was his coping strategy. The other one was his mom. The mom who had a signal for his for her son, which was to make her, her, her hand go into a C, which meant calm down. They learned calm down strategies outside the pool. Like when it looks like you're starting to get agitated, then you take slow, deep breaths. But when I'm in the stands and I put a C up, it just means between you and me, you need those slow, deep breaths. Gradually and gradually, obviously, he became more and more successful, released through the energy and did well. Ruby Bridges, you remember? I don't know if you remember her, but during the United States, during the 1960s, desegregation came through, and she was the, six years old, the only black child in an all-white school, now set in for desegregation to walk in every single day. Can you imagine? You're six, walking in every single day to first grade as the only black child in an all-white school, having to be escorted by federal marshals, and every day screaming, screaming mobs. And uh, she said two things helped her that whole year. One of them was Mrs. Harvey, once again, the champion champion, the caring adult teacher. The the parents wouldn't allow their children, their white kids, to be put in the classroom with her. So she also had to sit every day in it all by herself in a classroom with Mrs. Harvey, who she grew to love because Mrs. Harvey loved her and kept her. We're going to get through this, Ruby. But the second thing Mrs. Harvey said one day when Ruby was coming in, she paused outside when everybody was spitting and screaming and yelling at her, she paused, she looked serene, and then she walked back in and Mrs. Harvey said, what were you doing out there, Ruby? She said, oh, I was praying to God to help those people so that they, to help them because they're being so unkind. Her grandmother had taught her prayer and she said, it was prayer that sustained me. Once again, it could be a swimming pool. It could be prayer. It could be a hobby. It could be your sense of humor. It could be friends. Ordinary things can make extraordinary differences. You put those together with a skill set of how to brainstorm or how to make good decisions or how to stay cool and calm or how to do one, two breathing, any of the skills and thrivers. And you're going to have a child who's going to be the epitome of what you want, a kid who can make it without you. Right. That's, that's, that is sort of the end game, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there is, I think you said there's like, there's 300 of these different activities. And to your point, not that we all need to like do all 300 oh, of them no. and do them yeah. tomorrow, but to have an assortment. And again, like the, the, this is an appreciation again to, to what you offer parents. It's, it would be, a, it would be very demoralizing to say you should raise kids that are self confident, empathetic, have self-control, integrity, curiosity, perseverance, and optimism. And if they don't, then they're, they're not going to thrive. And then you say, Bye. <laughs> Go do that. Oh, but you don't. Like you're, you don't, you, you know, you're, you're, you're very, uh, pragmatic in saying, and this is what it looks like with a seven year old. And this is what it looks like with a high schooler. And you can try it this way, or you can try it that way. You, you know, it, it gives oh, great latitude you. to parents. Um, so it is pragmatic and it, it is, it is, um, meant to be the journey over the developmental lifespan of many, many years, not just done tomorrow. And with the appreciation that, yeah, we have constraints because we're in the pandemic, but we also have tremendous opportunities because we're in the pandemic. Um, you know, we are at home more with our kids. These these um, issues are maybe more to the fore of people's thinking, You know, so that they're actually it is a bit of a hot spot or a sore spot or something that they now are a little bit more motivated to address. So I would say it's this is an opportunity, not not our darkest hour.
3: Oh, I'm with you on that one. And I love the journey element. It's it's what we're doing in all of this is trying to parent for the long haul and we need a different toolkit. And I'm thank you so much because every activity in it is is age related. Here's what to do if this is for this child. Here's what you have if you have a seven year old or a ten year old. You choose what's going to work for you and your family. That's the bottom line. And then just yeah. keep doing it.
2: And and you know in the long haul, you know don't 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 stop too early. The fact that you decide that your kid's going to have agency. And that you're going to step back while they discover, you know, and and exercise their skill of having agency with managing school and then they don't hand in an assignment doesn't mean, oh, they're, you know, see, they can't do it. That was a mistake. Um, It's like, no, that was the mistake leading up to them being able to hand in the high school paper and the university paper. Um, This is exactly the time to discover the oopsies of, of, you know, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) I
3: love it, but that's exactly what it is. And if we don't help them with the the low level stuff, it just gets more and more difficult with the higher level stuff. Look, we love our kids desperately. Don't we? I mean, we love them with every ounce of energy we had and we don't want anything to happen to them. Oh God, we hate to have them fail. But in the end, those are the pieces that it's going to help them in the big hall when the real moments come that they we know that they can still stand it and say, I got this.
2: And so maybe that's a great little place to end. And although I'll, I'll, let, I'll make sure that you have an opportunity to to share anything else that maybe we didn't cover, but you know, to to use that skill of optimism that you just said and say, so training people to look for the silver lining. If we say, yeah, you know what, the pandemic has has put a, a shoulder of a burden on our children, but if we pity them we send a message that they're incapable, they can't manage, they don't have yeah. what it takes to overcome yeah. it. If instead we say, yeah, you know what? You've been asked to shoulder some of the load we all have and we're all making it through. And now we're focusing on some of these inside skills that may have not uh, been given a priority. And, and we're closer to, as a family, to be able to work on those. We have a different set of variables now to work on some of those and we'll get caught up on the ABCs and the one, two, threes in the curriculum but I'm going to learn to look inside you and find out who you are. And I'm going to learn how to be closer to you so I can be that strong advocate in your corner. And we have time for some of these hobbies and exercises and creating new routines that our family might stick to forever that are healthier routines than when we were just on the little hamster wheel of life.
3: Yeah, I think that's it. I Maybe there's, maybe there's a little ounce of a silver lining in an absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible time. It's this moment once in a lifetime that we can say what really does matter what matters to help our kids be the best they can be i'm i'm saying we just need to widen the plate a little bit and say make sure that it's not just the gpa and the test score but it's also helping the kid learn the skills that are so essential for the rest of their lives to be able to thrive beautiful
2: thank you for this contribution is there anything that you uh wanted to contribute that i haven't asked no just come and
3: live next door.
2: Yeah, I don't. You're on the sunny, you're on the sunny shores. <laughs> You've got much nicer weather yeah. than up here.
3: <laughs> you're so good to talk to you. I good to talk to you, to you, too.
2: And hopefully when this is all over, we'll have that opportunity in person. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations including the Mississauga's of the Credit, the Anishnabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississauga's of the
1: Credit. <laughs>